morning just to, to kind of let you know that it's not, human trafficking is not that far away. Uh, you know, it's not that we have to, uh, you know, I don't think that we, uh, you know, just simply should worry about, uh, you know, the countries that's abroad, uh, you know, in dealing with this. Uh, also, uh, you know, she made comment and there was comments that was there that human trafficking as far as, uh, you know, their statistics and what they're looking at is that it's from the age of 12 to 13, uh, you know, or so right around in there. Um, I have some other statistics that I will take you to later on in the message. Uh, it is just not that age group. Um, it is not just females that are being, you know, trafficked, you know, trafficked. Uh, you know, so it is something that we really need to, uh, you know, to look at. But the thing about this is, is what do we do once someone has already been abducted or has had experience, uh, you know, in this human trafficking? Uh, you know, what do we do? Uh, you know, how do we handle them? Uh, you know, I don't think there's anyone here in this particular body of church or in this church, uh, you know, that knows specifically on how to handle those. So today we're going to, or I am going to try my best to show you how Jesus would have handled this. And I want us to take a look at a really familiar passage of Scripture, but I want you to see it from a different set of eyes. We're going to look at John chapter 4, John chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. So kind of look up at me whenever you get there, because I didn't give Andrew these, because we're not going to read all the way through these. Once you've turned there, go ahead and grab you a pen or a pencil. There's a section that I want you to mark. Now, if it's not your Bible, and it's one of the Bibles from the pew, that's okay, you can mark it. I'm pretty sure that whenever somebody reads it, that they will get there and say, huh, I wonder why this is marked. But you can go ahead and do that. I want you to look at the fourth verse. John chapter 4, and we're going to look at the fourth verse. The first verse uh, just simply tells us that Jesus had heard about the Pharisees. They, uh, you know, The Pharisees knew that he was having more disciples or baptizing more people than John the Baptist was. Verse 2 says that Jesus wasn't the one that was doing the baptizing, but it was his disciples. So Jesus left the area that he was in, and he is going to another area. And then verse 4, it says that he had to go through Samaria on the way there. Now, we've all heard this passage of Scripture, and we've heard it preached. We know that Jews don't like Samarians, and Samarians don't like Jews. Whenever the Jews was trying to get from Judea to Galilee, they would go around Samaria. So we have Jesus who made his way to Samaria. There was a specific reason on why Jesus had to go to Samaria. What was the reason? Why did Jesus have to go to Samaria? It was to meet the woman at the well, right? He had an engagement, and that engagement was with a woman that was at the well. 
Here is something that I want you to take a look at. I really need you to, let's look at this, okay? Because I have heard it time and time again that the woman was the problem. The woman had five husbands, and the man that she was with wasn't her husband now. We even talked about it in our Tuesday morning group. It's the woman's fault that she had five husbands because she was a floozy. And all she did was just ran around chasing any man that was, you know, that would have her. What if she was on her fifth husband because the men wouldn't take care of her? She's the one. Because in the society that we are talking about here, that if a woman does not have a husband, she does not have any way to take care of herself or to support herself. So the first husband wrote a letter. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 24, Moses said that you can write a letter and you can divorce your wife just simply because you don't want her anymore. He writes the letter and she is now out on the road. For her to be able to survive, she needs to find a husband. So she goes to another husband. And then she doesn't, she can't, you know, something, whatever happens, he writes her to divorce. Five men. And the one that she's with now, it and her husband. Now, it doesn't take the fact away that the woman was sinning. It doesn't take away the fact that what was going on and how it was happening wasn't right. Now, we're just simply going to look at this and say, okay, here she is trying her best to live this life. And a society that tells her that she has to have a husband. She's got to have a man to take care of her. She might not be going about it the right way, but she's trying to take care of herself. Regardless of where you are, regardless if the sin that you are struggling with is a sin that you have put yourself in, or whether it's a sin that someone else has put you in, God is going to meet you or will meet you right where you need Him. And He will do what? He will restore you. He will set you free from the bondage of that sin. Regardless of what it is. So we look at this and we kind of get this understanding here that, okay... Jesus is going to Samaria, because, and there's a certain reason why he's going there, and it's so that he can minister to this woman. How many of you, whenever you get up in the morning, you say that I'm going to work because God has somebody there for me to meet? Or do we get up in the morning and we say, oh, man, I got to go to work. I got to pay the bills. Which one would be a better way to think about it? God has somebody for me to meet today. I have something. There is a specific task that God has for me today. We think about this, or I think about this. And I have to have things simple. What about y'all? Do you, it, it, the simpler it is, the better it is? Uh, you know, so I've been asked the question, and I have asked the question uh, you know, to our, uh, you know, to the staff ministers, to, you know, ministry, uh, to the staff people here, what's ministry? What is it? What, what does God want me to do? And I said, okay, let's make it simple. Ministry in its simplicity. 
And as simple as it can absolutely be, it's making connections. I make a connection with you, and I help you to connect to God. It's connections. Along that way, we become friends. But we're helping people to connect to God. Really easy. So I asked them, I said, okay, how do you make connections? Whenever I'm riding my motorcycle, other than yesterday, I have to... Why do I always have to put these other thens in? We went apple picking yesterday. I rode my motorcycle and I wasn't able to go to the same gas station that I normally go to whenever I fill up my motorcycle. But I normally go to a specific gas station to fill up my motorcycle. I don't pay for it with the credit card at the pump. I go into the gas station so I can meet the person that's at the cash register and I make a connection. How many of you think that I talk about my motorcycle? How many of you think that I mention about how God has blessed me with that motorcycle? We make a connection. I would challenge you, if you go to Walmart and you grocery shop, walk down all of those self-checkout sections. Walk past them. Go to this one lady that needs somebody to smile and go through her line. The next time you go to Walmart, walk that line and see if she's not there. How many of you go to the same restaurant at least three times a month? How many of you have the same waitress each time you go in? You don't, you don't ask for the same waitress? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Peggy and I, whenever we first started here, we met this young lady at O'Charlie's. Brittany. Three months ago, Brittany got a, got a promotion. She is now one of the managers of O'Charlie's. Peggy and I have communicated with her all the way through this process. I pray for her every time I go in there and get a free pie on Wednesday. Yeah, I actually switch it up sometimes there just to throw her off, making connections. But the thing about it is, is that whenever we read this particular passage of Scripture, and we see that Jesus had to go through Samaria because there was someone there for him to meet. There's always somebody there that God has for us to meet if we'll just simply go with him and do it for him. Now, there's something else here that I want us to take a look at because at the end of verse 7, because see, in verse 7, it tells us that soon a Samaritan woman came to draw her water. And Jesus said, please give me a drink. Jesus asked the woman to give him a drink. Jesus steps outside of social protocol. Not only does he speak to a woman in public, he speaks to a Samaritan woman in public. What does she do? What does she do? Verse 9. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for something to drink? You hear the attitude? She's right. It's, right. it's right there. She looks at Jesus and she goes, you're a Jew. You're supposed to be prejudiced against us Samaritans. And then she says, and her prejudice comes out, why are you asking me for something to drink? Then I think it's really kind of strange. How many of you have ever been to a well that didn't have a rope and a bucket on it? You've been to a well without a rope and a bucket on it? That was a strange well, wasn't it? You stand there, you're like, how do I get water out of this bucket or out of this well? Well, that's what the woman asked Jesus. She goes, you don't have a rope, you don't have a bucket. How are you going to give me something to drink? 
Jesus wasn't there for water. Jesus really wasn't there to actually give her any water out of that well either. He wasn't prepared for it. Eventually, Andrew, I'm going to get onto these notes. Eventually, Jesus had something a whole lot better to give to her. But there's a way that Jesus went about doing it that kind of makes the difference. So I want to give you some other statistics here. Because whenever we think about this and we think about human trafficking, God wants us, His church, to offer new life to the individuals who have been exploited through human trafficking or any individual that has been abused and exploited in any way in their lives. He wants to use the church. So we need to see this stuff. Human trafficking statistics in the U.S. for 2017. Man, they're startling. There's 10,615 individual victims. 8,759 of them have been, or, or what they would consider, human trafficking cases. There's been 4,863 potential traffickers. There's 1,169 businesses that traffic individuals. That is just in the United States. Individual victims of human trafficking. 7,255 sex trafficking. 1,979 labor trafficking. 838 non-specified. 542 sex and labor just in the U.S. It is a 40.3 million uh, trillion dollar business across the world. Trafficking human as a business, making money. Man. Let's look at the gender, the gender of human trafficking. 8,561 of them are females. This is just in the United States. 1,454 of them are male. Can I tell you that the human trafficking of male has more than tripled in the last two years? 400 or 541 are just unknown. Those are just people that's missing, that's out there in the, that's mixed up in all of this. This lady uh, we heard here from Charlotte was pinpointing on a specific age group. There's 6,240 that are known to be adults. 2,762 of them are minors. 1,575 are at an unknown age. Now, one of the things and the best things that we can do as far as protecting ourselves from human trafficking is that we educate ourselves. Number one, that we understand and that we see that it is an issue. But number two, we have to begin to educate ourselves as far as how do we protect ourselves. If you remember, you heard on the video that a lot of the human trafficking are not just simply kidnaps, but they are groomed in the process. Our children's department has information and stuff that well, they will be glad to give to parents and to grandparents that have children that will help you to see signs and to be able to teach your children 
to what to watch out for. Because they are grooming them beginning at a young age. They say that nowadays that they are beginning to groom human for human trafficking. Eight, nine, and ten year olds. To where it's very simply a phone call. And they meet them in a parking lot. And then they're gone. So we have that information available to you. I felt that it was information that did not need to be given by the, by the children's department. But the parents will look at this and choose on what is appropriate for their children or for their grandchildren. And be able to use it in an appropriate manner. So we continue to look at this and we see what Jesus does. Whenever we look and we see Jesus' meeting with the Samaritan woman, some of the, one of the things that we find here is that the woman found acceptability. Whenever she showed up at the well, although Jesus was a Jew and he wasn't supposed to be speaking to a Samaritan, she felt very welcome. Jesus asked her for some water. Can I, can I, just in this, in this morning, it really isn't a lesson, but I will kind of give you a hint, okay, that if you were doing something or if God is asking you to minister to someone, there has to be a connection that's there. There has to be something that they and you like or know together. There has to be able to be a conversation. If not, a lot of times it's, hello, how are you doing? I'm John Sadler. I'm the pastor at Rock Hill First Church in the Nazarene. I'd love to see you there. See you later. Bye. Didn't do a thing. Jesus also showed forgiveness. Forgiveness. That could be kind of difficult, couldn't it? Let's look at the Samaritan woman. She's had five husbands. One that she's with now. It's not her husband. There's five women. There's five women that need to forgive her. At least five. Possibly six, because the men that she was with was most probably someone else's. You're like, Pastor, you're really grabbing at straws there. Not really. Why was she at noontime at the well? Because she was shunned by the community that she was living in. The women did not respect her. She was bullied as a sense. Grace. How much grace do we have to show to people every single day? I'm not going to talk about the idiot that liked to ran us over uh, you know, on the way to uh, apple picking. Grace. I'm not going to say anything about the man that almost scared my wife half to death and made her jump off the motorcycle because he was barking out the window like a dog. <laughs> that was grace. Almost made Mar uh, you know, Darwin run off the side of the road. Grace. God's asking us, and He is asking us as His people, as His children, He's asking us as his church that we need to show these things and we need to be him. We need to be his love, his mercy. We need to show his grace uh, you know, to the people that we meet every single day. The more that we live this life and the more that we walk this journey with Christ, the more that we're supposed to look like him. The more that we're supposed to act like him. The more that we are supposed to be mistaken for Jesus Christ. God wants us, His church, to offer new life to every individual that we see. Everyone. Sometimes that's difficult. She listed Jesus' prejudice, prejudice as far as the Jews supposedly being prejudiced 
uh, you know, with the Samaritans. But what about her prejudiceness? See, we find it difficult sometimes to be able to minister to other people because they are prejudiced against us. But what does Jesus do? Can I let you know? He just simply ignored the prejudiceness. And he stayed right there. And although she didn't know that she needed this water, he did. So he stayed there to make sure that she got what he knew she needed. If we let hatred and anger deter us from being a minister of God, we will not speak to another person about Christ. Jesus shows us here. Jesus valued the woman enough to find her. Do we value other individuals enough to find them where they are? Or are we too caught up in our comfort zone? Are we too caught up in society that says, I shouldn't be there. I shouldn't go there. I shouldn't talk to that person. I don't know how many of y'all really know my wife, but she will walk or ride her bike down any street in Rock Hill that there's pavement on. She doesn't care who lives there and who doesn't live there. If that is a street that she rides on to get to wherever she needs to get, she's going. There's a lot of us that we've already scoped out the bad streets in Rock Hill. And we will drive around those bad streets five, maybe ten miles even, not to go through that section. Jesus says, I value enough that I will seek you out. A woman at a well in a time that she's really not supposed to be there. He sought her out. Jesus the parable of the 99 and the one lost. I will leave the 99 to go and find that one that is lost. He wasn't just simply frolicking along in a nice clear pasture with daisies or dandelions out there. He had most probably gotten lost into a thicket bush or he'd gotten separated and wandered on down into the, uh, you know, to the crevices of a ditch or something like that. Jesus said, I will go and find that lost one. What will we do? As churches, we do what? I'm going to create a program that will attract that group of people to the church in hope that they hear the, adver the advertisement and hope that they come to church on that one Sunday that we specifically have set aside for that group to be here. And I hope that they get saved when they're here because I don't know if I can go out and do that again. Is it really 17 minutes after? That's, that's point number one. Jesus helps the woman to get a better understanding of who God is. So whenever we make a connection, whenever we go out of our way and we meet with someone, our responsibility or what God really has for us to do is so that we can help them to have a better understanding of who God is and why He's here. Why did He die on the cross? Uh, there's a lot of questions and stuff, and I know that there's some struggles. Uh, you know, so why in the world was God so mean to the Israelites? I don't understand that. You talk about a loving God. And I read about a God that destroyed uh, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. 
I read about a God that killed the, you know, that, that uh, you know, had famine come across the land of, uh, you know, Bethlehem. I just, that just, because we're studying about it in Ruth. What about all the wars? Even in Ruth, we talked about last week how Ruth was in the promised land and she was in the covenant of God. But she walked outside of the covenant of God. Whenever she was inside the covenant of God, she was being blessed and she was full. She had a husband. She had two sons. She walks outside of that. And the next thing that we hear that her husband dies and then her two sons die. And now her and her daughter, two daughter-in-laws, are making it back to Bethlehem because they have a rumor that God has, built, has blessed Bethlehem again. And they now have food. She left full. She left with a full family. She returns absolutely empty. It was just her. We talked about it and we said that if we walk outside of God's will, that scripture tells us that if we are outside of God's will, He cannot and He will not bless us. But we fail to realize that it took 10 years for Naomi to no longer be full. God talked to her for 10 years. God Witness to her. God talked to her. God said, Naomi, you need to come back. Eliakim, you need to come back. Your family needs to come back to the covenant of God. Needs to come back to your land so that I can bless you. He gave them 10 years to do that. God wants us to let these people know and to talk about people and to love on people and says that if you were outside of God's will, if you do not believe in Him and do not trust Him, yes, for a season, for a time, you can flourish. But you will end up empty. If you die like Eliakim, you will split hell wide open because you were outside of the covenant of God. We have to be able to help them to understand this and to see this and to get a, a knowledge that God truly loves you. Regardless of how you think this is, regardless of how you see this, He says, if you follow me and you trust me, I will provide for you and I will protect you. Whenever you step outside, bad things happen. But that doesn't mean I don't love you. We're supposed to help them to see what God really has for us. Jesus offered this woman new life, regardless of where she had been, regardless of her past. We cannot allow our past to dictate our future because we have a God that can change our future. We have a God that wants to change it. He says, I have a new life for you. Have you ever thought about where the Samaritan woman spent the night that night. Have you ever thought about it? Because the man that she was living with wasn't her husband. She had received Jesus Christ as her Savior. She believed in Him. She couldn't go back and live with that man. Where did she go? Did she go back to her first husband? Second, third, fourth, fifth? Did she sleep in the streets? She has a new life. It's kind of a strange new life, right? I can't go back to where I was. I can't go back to the bars. What am I going to do today? Wednesday, I turned the corner off of uh, off the road right there on North Jones, right there across the street from our children's pastor's house. There's a man sitting on the porch, 
I thought a skunk had gotten up in those bushes and stuff that was right there by the road, those branches that was right there by the road. I was on my motorcycle, and I was like, man. And I looked up, and there he was, sitting on his porch. Got a big bong, a big pot pipe, smoking away. If we went to him, and we witnessed to him, and he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, what would he do the next day? He shouldn't smoke, but he's sitting there. What am I going to do with all this time? I used to go here and do this. Now what am I going to do? I used to go over here and I used to do this. Now what am I going to do? I talked to you about connections, right? Didn't I talk to you about connections at first? That's why we're here. Hey, I know something else that you can do other than, go, than sitting on your porch smoking pot. Why don't you come with me today? Oh, you don't have to go to the bars tonight. Why don't you come to church? Oh, you don't have to go there and do that. Why don't you come do this? Why do you know? You wonder why your church is going to have, trying to get up in, in a bowling league? Man, Kevin's a really good bowler. And Kevin, I'll actually talk to you while he's bowling. I got more information out of Kevin in one game than I have in two months. It's a connection. Come on, guys. You know, we can make light of this, but that's what God's asked us to do. That's what Jesus is showing us here. Is that once we make this connection, once we talk to this woman and we allow her to feel that she is important, she is a child of God, God created her and He created her for a specific reason, and then we help her to understand what that reason is, then we have to show her what this new life looks like. The new life's not perfect, but it's a new life that's given to us by Jesus Christ. And actually, He's really going to kill me. Or my wife is one of the two. So will somebody please take me out to lunch today? <laughs> Guys, you know, yes, I'll make light of that. I, you know, I hate that I am now 30 minutes over. You can round it up, round it down however you want to. But we're 30 minutes over. I'm sorry. But you know what? This is important. This is something that God really wants us to understand. There are people around us that are hurting. That we need to do exactly like Jesus did to the Samaritan woman. We need to meet her where she is. We need to accept her or him. We need to love them. We need to explain to them what God is really about. And then we need to help them to live this new life through Jesus Christ. We can't just simply forget about them. Amen. We're going to close with this video.